Welcome to the Tim Graham Show. The Tim Graham Show. This is Sports Radio 1270. Just not hitting the hole. The fan. I do I'm gonna get pimped. They gonna pimp me. Wonk, I love sausage. Shocking. Dizzying. How did this happen? When I bring the lumber, it's all about the hole. Tim Graham Show. I diddled uh, some pole. Uh, over the weekend. Right. Not me so honia. I did have an accident with a menorah Here we go. On Twitter at 1270, a fan. Wet mall. Taking your calls at 270 1270. What's up, baby? How you doing? Here we go. The Tim Graham Show. When's the last time you read the New Testament? Huh? I'm trying to put my junk back in place. You're one of the guys I'm following on Twitter, you know. Well, I like this guy, uh, Tim Graham. Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Shampoo Travis Besaw and Kirshner, CPAs and business consultants. They've been back in this show for months now. We couldn't be happier. This is the November 20th, 2019 Year of Our Lord edition of the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by CTBK, here on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. Joining me here in studio again today is the dapper Jonah Bronstein, sport coat and all. I take this job seriously, Tim. Of all the jobs I have, this is the one I take the most seriously. I'll allow it. It's probably the one that pays you the most. Per hour, yeah. Matthew Fairburn, he's in studio here. He's got the fleece game going, the pullover, as do I. That's not a pullover, that's a zipper. Yeah, there's a zipper here. Full zip. Bobby going with the hoodie today, just to give everyone a clear picture of what's going on here in the Sports Radio 1270, the fan studios. For a change. Bobby usually... <laughs> I was going to say, don't I usually have one? Bobby usually has one hoodie on his body <laughs> and five on his chair. Yes, that's how it works. I'm I, trying to think. Do you wear a hoodie in the summer, too? Occasionally. It, it gets cold in here. It does get cool in here. Yeah. We have a lot to talk about. Not so much of it uh, good. <laughs> the Buffalo Sabres stink on ice. Usually a phrase reserved for the fish market, but they do stink, and they do happen to be on ice. After last night's loss to the Wild, mm. in which Jack Eichel tries to fight somebody... Yeah, he went he went one on eighteen last night. I guess nineteen if you count the goalie. Twenty if you count the backup goalie. He went one on twenty last night. It didn't end well. Sabres lose that game. Jack Eichel scratching his head, scratching that scraggly mop of his. The guy trying to do it all. Four goals the previous game. Gets into a fight. Comes out of the penalty box and just starts ripping shots. He, it, it was almost as though. Although it was a fantastic penalty kill, the Sabres kill off the double minor, the double roughing, and then he jumps out of the the penalty box and is acting as though he's the only guy on the ice. And I think rightfully so. He just he gets the puck and he's like, I'm not passing. Fine. Uh, here we go. Set me up. And I think there was probably a bit of a, a moment people were trying to sense too. Jack goes up, gets into the fight with an unwilling participant who doesn't Maybe doesn't even know how to drop the gloves, let alone just doesn't do it. Jack Eichel sits in the penalty box for four minutes. 
uh, gets out, and not only did he take, I think, the first shot, but then they get down. They, there's uh, there's a play, there's a sequence in which they pass, they start passing it to him. And it's like Jack, let's just try to get the crowd going here because if you get in this fight, we call off this penalty, then you score the goal, then maybe we have a chance to win. Of course, it didn't matter. So the Sabers are in trouble. The Bills have bounced back since the last time we were with you here from the Sports Radio 1270, the Fan Studios. Bounce back with a convincing victory over the Miami Dolphins, the type of performance that I've been wanting to see since the Giants game, since the Bills beat the Giants. Yes, there were moments that uh, had to frustrate you as Bills fans, particularly, maybe not even particularly, maybe solely special teams. Yeah, there was a breakdown on the 50-yard pass play uh, from Fitzpatrick to, uh, uh, which it wasn't Albert Devontae Wilson, Parker. was to Devontae Parker, right. That uh, that sets up the touchdown, but the Bills. It was never in doubt that they were going to win that game. Uh, they're coming into Sunday uh, home uh, against the Denver Broncos at New Era Field. Uh, we also have uh, the Colin Kaepernick situation. I want to get into that today in two different ways. Uh, we're going to have uh, Tim Kawakami on uh, later in the show. He's going to join us uh, to discuss his column uh, that posted today at The Athletic. Tim Kawakami uh, used to cover the San Francisco 49ers and was there for the whole thing in 2016 when this whole saga began. Colin Kaepernick began sitting for the national anthem as a protest for, uh, for civil rights purposes. And then after counsel uh, with Nate Boyer, uh, who I've interviewed, has, I think he's been on the show. I get confused sometimes. We had Nate Boyer. We had Nate Boyer on the show. Yeah, we did. Um, he is the former um, soldier who uh, convinced Colin Kaepernick to kneel for the anthem because it is more respectful than sitting it out because when there's a fallen soldier, uh, you will kneel at his grave or you will kneel uh, you know, to, uh, to make a statement with a little more gravitas. And so then that began the kneeling uh, campaign that not only Colin Kaepernick uh, uh, employed, but also uh, Eric Reed, most notably. Uh, anyways, we're going to talk to Tim Kawakami about that, uh, about uh, where Kaepernick stands after his strange tryout over the weekend in Atlanta. And uh, I spoke with Lorenzo Alexander today uh, at uh, One Bill's Drive. And Lorenzo Alexander, uh, he is not only a veteran who's seen a lot, but he's also an officer in the NFL Players Association. He's on the executive committee serving as a vice president. So him being highly involved with player rights, um, what his thoughts were on what the NFL was up to uh, with, uh, with Colin Kaepernick's seemingly last-minute tryout that was thrown together and the waiver, uh, unusual waiver that Colin Kaepernick was expected to sign upon arrival uh, at the Atlanta Falcons facility uh, that would, uh, I guess, free or liberate the NFL from any future litigation, uh, a what they would call in the... Uh, in free agency or in uh, contract, uh, restricted contract offers, uh, offer sheet language as the poison pill that they were hoping Colin Kaepernick would be so desperate for this tryout that he would go ahead and sign away his rights. 
pretty uh, strange. So that sets up the show for today. We'll have uh, Lorenzo Alexander, uh, my interview with him. Uh, we'll have Tim Kawakami. And also, uh, coming up in our next segment, we're going to talk with John Vogel, Buffalo Sabres writer for The Athletic, and uh, we'll discuss uh, what's been going on with the Sabres. But let's talk about it now. People have to be thinking about it. The game uh, is fresh in everyone's minds last night. After the Sabres come up for air against the Ottawa Senators with Jack Eichel's four-goal game, it doesn't spark much. No, it didn't at all. And, I mean, you have to... I feel for Jack Eichel a lot of the time because you can see how frustrated he is. He's been in the spotlight basically from the moment he got drafted, and he's been this almost a mascot for this debate that everybody likes to have over the tank. And yet, you know, he's he's holding up his end of the bargain. It's the rest of the team, the rest of the organization that's failed him in a lot of ways. And his prime is getting wasted. I mean, he has a four-goal game over the weekend, and then he's dropping the gloves to fight, uh, which is not his not his game. He he's never been in a fight, and he still has never technically been in I a fight say, because he got yeah, he got a he dropped the gloves. Uh, he also could have been. I mean, I guess I don't know what the ruling would be on this, but. Uh, I have seen it before. This be called if you drop the gloves and the other guy doesn't and doesn't fight back, you could also get a delay a game right. in that. But I don't know how often yeah. you see I an official if call two continues. different penalties on the same guy. You know, but and you, you have players not even responding really in any noticeable way to that, which is alarming. And I imagine beyond frustrating for Jack Eichel, who is having a, a pretty solid season uh even by his high standards so you just wonder i was you know wondering a lot of the time you know during the game last night and this morning and today thinking about it is you know what what are the sabers what are they going for they're not really a rebuilding team anymore i don't think you get to claim that at this point but where are they going you know what what is the goal and what are they right now uh, it, it, they're just stuck in the middle where you know, they're probably not going to be, or maybe they will be bad enough for another high pick, but you're not exactly in a spot where you're sitting there saying they've hit the reset button. You know, they, they have the same general manager they've had for the last few years. He's not really done anything noticeable to improve the roster. The best player he's added is probably Rasmus Dahlin, who they are in the process of, you know, he, he's getting worse at the moment. And right. you know, and he's supposed to be who knows if it, he'll continue in that direction. You'd almost assume because of how talented he is that he'll head the other way and and even out and turn out to be a good player, but the only reason they have Rasmus Dahlin is because they were so bad in the first place to get him and got lucky in the lottery. So, you know, they haven't done a whole lot to improve this team and you're really wasting a good chunk of Jack Eichel's prime. You're paying Jack Eichel top dollar, which he's worth but not surrounding him with really any noticeable talent that, that's going to take this team to the next level. And I think what's probably making the, the fan base as you know frustrated as it is certainly is how long this has been going on. They've been dealing with it for years. But the way it's happening, kind of like last year, you start off the season, what, 8-1-1, one, and one, uh, you know, winning a lot of games – and then just completely go the other way. This is two years in a row that they've done this same thing. And 
you know, they can for the record, just quickly, they do still have a winning record. They got off to such a great start right. that as abysmal as they've been, they're still ten, eight, and three. They're also six points ahead of the last place team. It's kind of the way the NHL works. Yeah. Not everybody has a winning record because you get a point just for tying your skates. <laughs> That's right. Which evidently they did not do last night <laughs> because they, they were unable to get a point against the Wild, who were, what were they, in last place? They were the Wild have been struggling. They played a lot of road games. Statistically the worst, I think. Last night was a lot like, you know, I cover, I've covered this team during this, from the tank season in this era, and last night reminded me of a lot of those games where a team comes to town, they've been struggling, and they're leaving the locker room smiling and laughing and eating they their get chicken wings. The yeah, thinking, how great was this? Everything that hasn't been working worked all of a sudden. We, we have, Minnesota, we haven't been starting well. Oh, we started well. We haven't been finishing well. Oh, we finished well, too. And the Sabres just allow these teams to come in and play their best hockey in their own barn. Yeah, you know who seems to enjoy playing in Buffalo the most? The other teams. <laughs> nobody who oh, they play. love it. They love the chicken wings. Right. Nobody who plays for the Sabres seems to enjoy it. We, another former player yeah. came out this week uh, talking about how miserable he was playing in Buffalo. These are people who are going on the record saying this. Ryan O'Reilly talking about how bummed out he always was in Buffalo. And then the Sometimes senior... they bring it up. They're not even being asked. Right. Like, I think it, it was Leonard that was yeah, asked something Leonard's else. And he kind of just yeah. went, you know, I played in Buffalo. There's nothing worse than that. Right. And – the scene you're describing is a common one where, you know, these opposing teams love coming to Buffalo, love playing this team and beating up on them and, you know, getting right, playing their best hockey against against the Sabres. And that's pretty – that's got to be depressing uh, if you're a fan. And I can see why it's it would be depressing if you're a player too. And uh, the guy I always – you know, like I said, that I always think about is Jack Eichel because – if there's one guy who deserves better, it's that guy. Uh, the way that he plays and and you know the the attitude he brings to the team. But you know who else are you sitting there saying deserves better than than what they're getting right now? Because we talked at the beginning of the year how much of an effort sport that can be. Well, when it's not there, uh, it's really obvious, and it, it doesn't seem like the the same juice is there that, that was present for the first ten games. We have a late addition to the lineup today. Uh, Chris Baker, Daddy Bakes, is going to join us to talk Sabres also in this hour. So maybe we should take this time over the next few minutes since we're going to have John Vogel on to talk about the Sabres and also uh, Chris Baker, who can also uh, give us uh, a look at what's going on in Rochester, the prospects. Is there any help on the horizon if not for a trade? Chris Baker's the guy to talk to for that. Uh, the Bills against the Broncos this weekend. Uh, Oh, thanks, Bobby. Uh, the Broncos are maybe the perfect opponent right now. I think I'm thinking of this in boxing terms when uh, a guy's trying to get ready for the championship fight. They get the tune-up fight in. So, yeah, the Dolphins were maybe that. That gets them back on their feet after losing to the Browns, uh, an embarrassing game. Uh, they come back. They thoroughly dominate. Uh, the the Dolphins everywhere but in special teams, and even you could find a glimpse in special teams. Stephen Hauschka had a great bounce back game, especially to be asked to kick a fifty one yarder on the very first possession of the game after uh, what happened to him uh, in Cleveland. Uh, I asked him about it today. In a perfect world, would you rather have? Do you want to kick the fifty one yarder there, or would you rather a thirty one yarder? If you're going, and he said, "Well, I don't get to choose." 
And I said, well, no. I said, in a perfect world. Right, in a perfect world, right. you get to choose. And, right. I, and then he said, uh, he smiled and said, I guess it's it's appropriate that I was able to get, he didn't say get back on track, but he said, I'm, I'm, it's appropriate that it was a 51-yarder because he's known for hitting the, the long ones. And uh, so he was pretty happy about that. And uh, uh, But anyway, where do we stand here with, with the Bills against the Broncos? I feel like you're you're right that this is a a perfect opponent for them in some ways because or a perfect opponent for them to be up against for our our purposes in terms of learning about this team because I don't know that the outlook of the Bills season should dramatically change based on what happened on Sunday. Yes, it was the most convincing victory they've had. Yes, it was an outstanding offensive game, 37 points four total touchdowns from Josh Allen. He gets AFC Offensive Player of the Week. All that's great. But it was against the Dolphins, and the Dolphins really are a lousy team. And, you know, they had one, two in a row. Where I will quibble with that is, but the Bills have, like with Washington or Miami the first time or with Cincinnati, have shown an inability to dominate the bad teams. And here the thing, it also should be pointed out, that the Dolphins got a lot worse in between the two games, especially they in the did. backfield. They trade Kenyon Drake. They lose Mark Walton to a suspension, and now he's been cut because he assaulted uh, a girlfriend, uh, allegedly. Uh, but, yeah, the Dolphins got worse. They did. Uh, but still, it was just encouraging for me. And maybe this is a personal thing, and I've been saying it for weeks, is there are certain things you want even just uh, – all right, so go ahead and beat Cleveland by one point. I thought that would have been fine because Cleveland was tougher than the record. Uh, beat Philadelphia by a point, that's fine. But against the Washingtons and the Miamis, you got to obliterate them. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I thought that with again, with the caveat of special teams aside, they obliterated the Dolphins. Yeah, and they did it with offense. I, I don't think on you, the road too. I, I don't think you say they won that game because of the defense. The defense had a fine day, not their best day. Uh, the special teams uh, did not have a great day. They won a game because of offense, and they did it convincingly which, as you mentioned, they hadn't done against a lot of really lousy teams. So certainly a nice feather in their cap, but it shouldn't – I don't think anybody was going into that game thinking, man, are the Bills going to come out of this 7-3? and three? That was almost a foregone, foregone conclusion. Now the Broncos 3-7, and seven, but they've played in a lot of really close games, and they have a defense that's going to put the Bills to the test with a really good secondary, Von Miller – um, you know, leading the pass rush, a good defensive line. They stopped the run well. Their offense is pretty suspect. This should be a game where the defense can control things. But I think you get to find out, you know, are is this offense going to be able to sustain this against a decent, you know, defense? And it'll be interesting to see also, just to add a, add a finer point on what you just said there, is that Ty Nasecki is not going to be on the field for them. And so, uh, Ty Nasecki's no all-pro, but he has really solidified the right tackle position because Cody Ford is still learning his way. Now it's clearly going to be Cody Ford, right? I guess they could make some. They're not going to. They're not going to make that. It would say not a make, lot about so, Cody right. Ford if they we're not going to see in Ryan coach. Bates or yes. something like that. But yeah, that's going to be a huge test. Josh Allen had a ton of time to throw last week. Conditions were ideal for Josh Allen a week ago against that defense that put up very little resistance. So, look, this is a 3-7 and seven team. This is a game the Bills absolutely should win, but it's not going to come as easy as the Miami game did. And I think the key thing is that 
the games after that one, you know, the four-game stretch with Baltimore or Dallas, then Baltimore, then Pittsburgh on the road and New England on the road, that is not an easy stretch. You, they could go 0-4 in those four games. And so all of a sudden that makes this Broncos game crucial. Uh, if they want to get to 10 wins, they need to beat the Broncos, the Steelers, and the Jets, assuming they lose to the Cowboys, Ravens, and Patriots. If they lose to the Broncos – then you need a road win against the Steelers just to have a shot at getting to nine wins. So we're looking, and we'll get we'll talk about this with Joel Staniszewski when he joins us on the line from Vegas. We're going to talk about the point spread. By the way, if you're curious, Bills by four. Uh, although it seems like a little confidence is shaken because the Bills opened up as uh, five and a half point favorites, and the money seems to be coming in on Denver. Uh, we'll talk to Joel Staniszewski about that, but also what we should expect for the point spreads for the remaining games. This. And the, this might be until the season finale against the New York Jets, the last time the Bills are favored. So the Bills, if they're going to get to double-digit wins, they're going to need to beat a team in which they are the underdog. Yeah, and unless – yeah, they'll probably be underdogs against the Steelers. It, it should be close. But there's still a chance they could get to 10 wins without beating a team with a winning record. They've played only one so far. Uh, a team that has a winning record to this point. You would think the Eagles have a pretty good shot at finishing with a winning record, but that's not a guarantee. The Steelers aren't guaranteed to finish with a winning record at this point, uh, you know, the way they played against the Browns. So This is like the opposite of the NHL. Right. Everybody has a losing record. I mean, so they could still accomplish their goals, get to nine or ten wins and sneak into the playoffs. Nine wins might be good enough with the way some of these teams in the AFC are playing. So, uh, you know, but all of that hinges on winning this game. And because even at 7-3, and three, they, they can't be super comfortable with games against the Cowboys, Ravens, Steelers, and Patriots on the horizon. So this, this five-game stretch of the season is going to define them. And to their credit, as ugly as it was at times, they got the cushion of wins – that they need. They got the appropriate cushion heading into this final stretch of the season where the expectation should still be 10 wins uh, with the teams that they play. Matt, is, is Denver another one of these teams that the Bills should beat and might not get a lot of credit for beating them if it's not a convincing win? Or I, are they a level above these other teams? I think they're more in the bucket with the Browns where, you know, it would be easy on the outside to say, oh, they beat that team. You know that look at the record and say they're they're a lousy team. The reason I think they would get, they would have gotten some credit for beating the Browns. I think even though the Browns were a two win team, and the Broncos being a three win team, I think it helps that they were up big on the Vikings last week, just in terms of perception of what it would mean to beat them. And I think the way that they play defense, there's you know reason to be impressed if the Bills can pull it off. With the caveat always of depending on how it looks, right? You know, as, as we've uh, – I don't know that this is one of those games like, you know, Tim mentioned earlier, winning by a point is impressive. But. 17 days ago, the Denver Broncos beat the Cleveland Browns. And that was the game right before the Bills went to Cleveland. So Denver did something that Buffalo couldn't. Uh, the other two wins that Denver has this year, uh, they beat Tennessee 16 to nothing. Uh, and uh, so that's a common opponent. Maybe you could use that uh, to rationalize whatever you think might happen on Sunday. And then uh, the Broncos, uh, a week before that, uh, won at 
the Los Angeles Chargers 20-13. to Their losses, if you're curious, Oakland, Chicago looks like a bad loss based on what's happened with Chicago this year. They lost at Green Bay, Jacksonville, Kansas City, at Indianapolis, and then at Minnesota. So that's a tough schedule. That is not nearly the schedule that the that the Bills have had. So at at three and seven, yeah, they are one of the worst teams record wise in the NFL. But I think they're they're a team that's a bit better, a little bit better than their record. They're higher in DVOA than Cleveland and Tennessee for that matter, about middle of the league. Right. Top 10 defense. Yeah, well, defensive DVOA, they're right up near the top. We'll talk more bills uh, coming up later in the show, and we'll get deeper into it from uh, the betting standpoint, like we said with Joel Staniszewski when uh, we get in touch with him uh, out in Las Vegas. But when we come back, uh, we're going to talk to John Vogel of The Athletic. We're going to get into his thoughts on the Sabres, what can be done, if anything, short-term, long-term, uh, what the prospects are for uh, for the Sabres this season based on the two different teams that we've uh, been forced to digest. Yeah, sending out that SOS for the Sabres. Well done, Robert. When we come back uh, on the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Shampoo, Travis Biso, and Kirshner, CPAs and business consultants on Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. Welcome to the Tim Graham Show. Sports writer Tim Graham, who interviewed the Duggernaut. This is historic, Tim. Hey, let's not fake a newcomer. It's cucumber. Our friend Tim Graham. Hey, Tim. And you, Tim. The Tim Graham Show. Tim Graham, who's been ahead of everyone else. Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. Celebrating its 25th anniversary this year, Shampoo, Travis, Besaw, and Kirshner is a full-service accounting firm that also offers expert consultation for growing and entrepreneurial businesses. Located in Amherst, CTBK specializes in maintaining a human connection and takes a bullish approach to their clients' goals and visions with a no-surprises billing policy. For assurance, accounting, taxes, litigation support, advice on acquisitions and mergers, or practically any other business operation need you can imagine, call CTBK for a consultation at 716-630-2400. That's 716-630-2400. Shampoo, Travis, Besaw, and Kirshner. A quarter century of proven accounting and business excellence for Western New York and beyond. 716-630-2400. This is Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. Broadcasting from the Salino and Barnes Studios, the Buffalo home of the Syracuse Orange. The Tim Graham Show. Join me in the herd in Buffalo in New York. Jerry Sullivan. The Jerry Sullivan Show. The voice of Buffalo. On Twitter at 1270, The Fan. Hostess. Welcome to the Tim Graham Show. Oh, I got it. It's one of those deals where I pull it halfway out. I'll try to get it in uh, before uh, traffic and weather together on the nines. <laughs> Do drummers die more often? Sports Radio 1270, The Fan, The Tim Graham Show. Yeah, I can get behind anything. Appropriate song. Welcome back to The Tim Graham Show, brought to you by CTBK here on Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. Joining us now on the NCCC Thunderwolves hotline is John Vogel of The Athletic. He covers the Sabres. And uh, as you hear Gord Downey and the boys uh, singing Blow It High Doe behind you, and I guess there's probably a metaphor that can be 
pulled out of that with uh, with the Sabers. But I just want to know: Can you get behind these Sabers? If if you could get behind anything, Gord Downey could get behind anything. John, can you get behind the Buffalo Sabers? Um, <laughs> in what way? Uh, as far as winning and making the playoffs, no, I'm no, behind them, and there's not going to be a lot of teams behind them in the standings either. Um, the way they're going, uh, definitely free fall to the bottom once again. Um, it has been. Uh, I heard the. I heard you guys talking about it a little earlier. It was painful to watch last night. It really was like uh, the old days. There was an angry vibe in the crowd. Uh, it started before the game. Jason Botterill talked, and uh, his comments certainly didn't expi- inspire people who were looking for some hope. Uh, and then the team comes out and lays another egg for the first half and finishes in the 4-1 loss. And so, yeah, things uh, things seem to be falling apart again, and uh, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting to watch. Not fun, but interesting. John, help me out with the uh, timeline last night. What time did Jason Botterill uh, speak to the reporters? Uh, he came out right after the pregame warm-up, so it was about uh, 10 to 7, quarter to 7 or I so. I see. All right, so too close to the game for the players to really know what he had to say. So it's not as though that's going to affect them on the ice unless they're the types of guys who are going to be flipping through their cell phones within minutes of a game starting. I just was curious there because, as you say, they, they played like, when they have been, I, I suppose, playing like a team that knows no help is coming either. And then Jack Eichel, maybe, I don't know, maybe he was playing a little out of character there with uh, dropping the gloves uh, because it's out of frustration as much as it is trying to get his team going. I, uh, let me just ask you there. You, you've never seen this guy fight before because he's never done it, and technically he still doesn't have a fighting major. But as that's happening, as you see the commotion there at the end boards and then he decides he's going to drop his gloves, as you're watching that, what's going through your mind? Yeah, obviously he's pissed off is what I'm thinking. Um, he, uh, he said later on he was talking with a teammate in the locker room uh, he got slew-footed by Erickson Act, and uh, he told him to watch out, and then he got bumped in the corner, and he said he'd had enough and just was ready to go. Um, but obviously the score and the way things are going contributed to that, too. There's no way just a simple check in the corner is going to make a guy fight who's never fought before. So when you add in all these, uh, this 2-7-2 and two run, which it became, or run which it became, and the anger of uh, just the way the team's been going, I mean, in these last 12 games, uh, Eichel, Reinhardt, and Skinner have outscored everybody else 17-9. to It's just a blowout. I mean, once again, it's three guys doing everything, and Eichel decided, hey, I'm going uh, to try and do something even more. Um, but as, uh, as Matt Fairburn said a little while ago, it didn't do anything. It didn't resonate with the team. Uh, Brandon Montour, after the game, says uh, uh, there's no jump on the bench. Someone like that who's so important to the team and trying to spark the team in any way, we've got to get up in there. It's one of the things where we need to – Everybody to change the right game or change the game right there, and you see it. There was no energy, no nothing. So you've got to appreciate what he was trying to do, but the team didn't have it. I mean, that's a damning comment right there. I mean, you just you see a guy fight who's never fought before, and the bench doesn't even respond. That's a, that's a sad state of things. John, what reading through your story uh, after Jason Botterill's comments, I was frustrated just reading the quotes uh, about you know the. You know, not wanting to necessarily give away the the defensive depth and you know things of that nature. What what were you able to gather in terms of how the sense of urgency, I guess, that Jason Botterill has to make a move? Because it's not as if he's holding on to a bunch of Norris Trophy candidates back there. He he's he's acting like he's 
protecting these prized assets, but, you know, is he going to be willing to make a move here at some point? Is there some urgency to, to you know, get some help for these guys? It doesn't seem like there's an urgency. I mean, this he's known since the summertime when he started trading for and signing these defensemen that at one point there's going to be too many, and we've reached that point. I was actually laughing. I laughed out loud next to Joe Yurden as I was uh, transcribing Botterell's interview because he had three chances yesterday to get out of get out of saying, "Oh, twelve defense is fine." Twelve defensemen is not fine. I mean, you don't need that many defensemen in your organization when you don't have uh, guys who can score. When you're playing eleven forwards last night and dressing seven defensemen because you don't have enough forwards uh, in the organization to play. I mean, it was just crazy that he thinks he needs twelve defensemen in this organization when there are so many other holes. And it's not just that there's so many. I mean, first of all, yes, they're not all great players. Um, but the fact is he's scratching guys who are making $4 million, $4 million a night and Colin Miller and Marco Scandella. That's money on the roster that could be used to, to bolster the offensive uh, unit, and it's just not being done. And while he said we're trying to make calls and actively seeking things, it's just uh, doesn't seem the, the urgency is there for something that's been brewing since the summertime. We're in conversation with John Vogel at the Athletic here on the NCCC Thunderwolves Hotline. Uh, you know who just got scratched, John? Uh, no. Mike Babcock just got scratched from the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, the team just announced two minutes ago that he has been fired. I'm sorry. The team announced he's been relieved of his coaching duties. Nobody oh, gets fired anymore. They really. parted ways. Yeah, you part ways, all that stuff. wonder what job he's going to do now. <laughs> well... Unfortunately, the Sabres don't have an opening. Uh, or maybe they do. Maybe do he can be the have? general manager. Do you think they would have if, if they had still had an opening at this point? Or if they kept Housley and said, you know, this is your last chance, do you think they get rid of him and go right to him? Well, that would be interesting. Uh, they obviously wanted him uh, just a couple of years ago. And uh, uh, what's that been? Four years now, I guess. Um, Sheldon Keefe, if you're curious, John. Uh, Sheldon Keefe has been named the club's new head coach. It doesn't say interim in this tweet from Leafs Public Relations. It has a blue check mark and everything. I, I have not been duped. Uh, so Sheldon Keefe has been named the, the team's new head coach. You missed uh, the hashtag at the end of the tweet. Oh, hashtag Leafs forever. Leafs forever. Unless yeah, you unless you're Brendan Shan or unless you're Mike Babcock, yeah. and then it's not, then it's not Leafs anymore. just for today, just until about mm-hmm. a half hour ago. Um, what do you make of that, John? Um, that is quite the, uh, quite the move. I mean, actually it, there'd been the rumblings there just because they got all the talent in the world and they're, uh, they're behind the Sabres in the standings, I believe still at the moment. So you knew something had to be coming, but, uh, uh, that was the marquee move, uh, a few years ago. That was the, that was their get the, get the cup ready, plan the parade move that this guy was coming and all the players were coming and it was the right mix. And obviously it hasn't worked out for them. So, uh, uh, it is a surprise, uh, even though it has been talked about. But yeah, what a move! I, I, I guess this, it, which doesn't matter how this would affect the Sabers, really. I mean, the Sabers don't need to worry about it. I think maybe if we were talking about this a few weeks ago, or if the Sabers had shown a little bit of more competitive spark over the last couple of weeks, you could say, "Hey, how might this affect the standings?" But here we are having a conversation, as you as you said from the beginning, John, that they're plummeting to the bottom. It doesn't look like there's uh, anything to break this free fall. So why does it? Why do we even need to ask how the, how this move affects the Sabers? So uh, so let's stay with uh, the team that you covered, John. Um, I know 
we're going to have Chris Baker on uh, in the show today, too, and, and I'm sure that he has some thoughts uh, from a prospect standpoint. But is there any help within the organization that you see that can help him out here? Uh, there's not a lot left. The only two guys who are healthy down there um, wouldn't do a lot. Uh, uh, I think the one thing, they, did, they are getting a nice little boost from Rasmus Asplund um, since he's been called up. Uh, obviously, hasn't translated on the score sheet, but he played more than 18 minutes last night. Um, I think he's looked uh, look like an NHL player. Um, he's actually looked more like an NHL player than Casey Middlestat, who I'm writing about now. Um, the good thing for Sabres fans is Casey Middlestat is well aware he doesn't look like a very good player right now, which you'll uh, read about soon. But, uh, yeah, they need, uh, when they will need that, help. Will that from, story be up tonight, or is that tomorrow? Uh, it'll be either tonight or first thing in the morning. So, yeah, Do you want right to tease it? Up. What's Casey Middlestat uh Give, can you give us a morsel? Can you, um, sure. Let Is he an angry, back. an angry fella? Um, he was not an angry fella. Um, he's just, uh, he's just a well aware. Um, I guess I'm pretty good. hard on my. He's, uh, I'm pretty hard on myself, so it hasn't been the brightest of days. Uh, it's time for someone to step up. Obviously, Ike's and Rhino and those guys have been carrying the load, so it's time for someone else to step up and us younger guys to step up. I've got to step up my game for sure. Um, this is a guy who, in the last 30 periods of hockey, has four shots on goal. Um, <laughs> that is, uh, that is how, not wait, how many periods? 30 periods, four shots. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah, that's uh, if you want to know why that line's not scoring. I just had to stop myself from saying, holy S. <laughs> that is amazing. I, I think that's pretty hard to do, yes. <laughs> and, uh, but he's right in the middle of it right now. <laughs> Good Lord. Yeah. All right. Well, don't give away that story too. I th- oh, geez. I guess people. I don't know. I mean, I get people should be more aware of that because he is a high-profile player, one of the top prospects in the entire organization, right? I mean, he's a high draft pick. People were excited about this guy at one point, and uh, man, uh, I guess maybe just because the team overall has been so bad, a stat like that sneaks through. Um, but. Jeez, you know, and I'm sorry, but Matt Matt just wrote about this too. So maybe there's some some PSE synergy that can be at play here. You talk about the younger guys stepping up. That's exactly what Tremaine Edmonds did, the linebacker. Uh, he's 20. He doesn't even turn 21 until or wait, he what is, is he? He's 20. He's turns. Yeah, that's right. He's. I'm getting he and he can have uh, a glass of wine. If yes, he so chooses. Yes, I'm getting he and <laughs> Rasmus Dahlin mixed up. Uh, but yeah, these young guys with the Bills have decided. Look. It's time for us to. We're not even the, the the guys who are technically rookies are acting as though, hey, we're ten games into the season. We're not rookies anymore. Let's get out there and do it. It would be nice to see a little bit of that uh, from the Sabers. Yes, for sure. And uh, I just looked up Casey Middlestad. He turns twenty one on Friday, so they have a day off down in Fort Lauderdale. So he too can have a glass of wine if he so chooses. Um, Wait, he turns yeah. twenty one on Friday. Yes, and the game is Saturday. Uh, they play Thursday in Boston, and then not till Sunday in Fort Lauderdale. Oh They're dear! Down there. Well, here's Somebody the thing: have the South Beach Blue he on can Saturday. Loaded. Twelve oh one after the uh, after the uh, Bruins game. So he'll be yes. on the team. Playing. He'll be on a three day bender by the time uh, they play the Panthers. <laughs> yeah, unlike the old days when we flew, used to fly on the team plane, there's no alcohol whatsoever allowed on the Sabres charters mm-hmm. anymore. So. 
Um, but he'll have to wait till they land. But yeah, I'm sure uh, down in South Beach they don't close at uh, 10 p.m. So I'm sure if he so desires, they could find something. Yeah, he might be at the uh, he might be at the elbow room for two and a half days straight. Oh uh, uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> well, John, thanks for joining us. Uh, breaking news during your segment there. Uh, I'm pleased that I could inform you uh, about something going on in the world of hockey. Um, I don't get to do that anymore. I wish you, uh, well, maybe when the bill season's over, um, I'd love to have you uh, join us more yeah, often. I'll think about it. All right. Yeah, either way, I guess. I was just trying to be nice. <laughs> <laughs> Saw Jonah Bronstein was there last night. Maybe we can uh, have a, we'll get Fairburn to come out there, you know, for the show. We'll be out there representing the Tim Graham show, <laughs> getting our, doing our hockey research. All right, John. Always good to have Bye. you on. And uh, appreciate you joining us, uh, and on short notice at that. See you all soon, my friends. That was John Vogel, the athletic on the NCCC Thunderwolves hotline. Come be a part of a winning team at Niagara County Community College. Hey, uh, Bobby, do not let that NCCC Thunderwolves hotline get cold because we're going to keep it going oh, yeah. right after this break with Chris Baker. Oh, I thought we were going to go to Russ Brandon. Oh. Let's see if we can get Russ Brandon real quick. Give it a try. Yeah, it was already. I had. The I number bet he doesn't answer. Let's see. Wow. I don't know. Good luck, think, Jonah. Man. Good luck. Jonah. With everything going, I think he's not going to be time. there. He's usually Thank pretty you for busy calling New Era Cap. If you know your party's extension, please dial it now. For a company directory by name, press star. How are you doing? All right. Me, last and first name. I always hate, we should, one of these days, two, I'm going to jot down seven, the actual extension. Yeah, direct. Right. For help, press zero. Let's see. Da, da, da. Okay. For Ooh. Russ Brandon at extension pound to cancel, what? press star. Wait while I transfer your call. Sorry, Russ Brandon hmm. is not available. Son of a Record your message at the tone. <laughs> when you are finished, hang One up of these days, he's going to answer. And then we'll have him on the NCCC Thunderwolves hotline. That would be something. Chris Baker, when we come back on the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Shampo, Travis Besaw, and Kirshner, CPAs and business consultants on Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. Stop that, young lady! The charity's on fire! The Tim Graham Show on Twitter at 1270, The Fan. This is Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Shampo, Travis Bisa, and Kirshner, CPAs and business consultants. Here in studio with Matthew Fairburn of The Athletic, Jonah Bronstein of the Bronstein Group, and Bobby Rosati diddling those knobs. We didn't, we didn't let it get cold. We are staying on a warm NCCC Thunderwolves hotline right now to talk t- with Chris Baker. At Sabres Prospects is where you can follow him on Twitter. Chris and will cool it off. Yeah, cool he'll, it he will. I hear dogs barking in the background. Which one is that? Is that Tito? Yeah, it's one of the idiots. It's going to get yelled at. I feel like I'm going to have to do an uh, Ed Ogeron here in a second to go out and yell at him, but we'll be good. That's be fine. Good. I like that. That adds to uh, the ambiance. We're doing it live. Exactly. This is live radio, and it's the beauty of it. So, Chris, uh, your a general take on uh, on the Buffalo Sabers uh, before we ask some specific and rather pointed questions. 
Well, you know, it's like we've seen this story before. <laughs> As, uh, you know, just last year, I think we saw the same story being written. It's unfortunate. I mean, I think it's a little bit of a different, um, different looking storyline, though, this year. I mean, if you look at, you know, the power play was carrying the team at the beginning of the year. Power play disappeared. You know, last year, the goaltending, I think, was kind of the key that was allowing them to stay in games and winning those games in overtime late. Goaltending, you know, has been a little bit up and down this year, but it's not the, you know, it's not the culprit. I think that you got to really look at the forward group this year. Injuries, obviously, are just uh, really, really beating this team down, but it's no excuse. That's why you develop players have organizational depth. That depth's been tested, and it's just not coming through right now. Is there any thought, well, from your standpoint, as somebody who watches these guys so closely down in Rochester, uh, the previous to Rochester, watching these guys as prospects uh, in the juniors, uh, in the college ranks, do you see something that could come around the corner? And I don't mean the guys uh, who could get called up from Rochester, but even the guy, the, the people who've been brought up and haven't contributed or, or done it yet. Is there something that maybe there's a gear left or there? I don't know. I don't really know what I'm asking here, Chris, other than the fact is, is this what Sabres fans should get used to, or is there a chance that any of these guys can actually emerge? No, I think they're in trouble, to be honest with you. I mean, you know, there's, you know, when Tim Murray was here, you know, if you go back to that era, as short as it was, I don't think he really drafted that great. But, you know, I think that really the the greatest area that Jason Bodrell had to do some cleanup was replenishing the prospect ranks. You can look at some of the contracts that Tim Murray handed out that kind of saddled Botterill out of the gate at the top roster, whether it's, you know, a Poso or whatever. But, you know, they still have a lot of work to do from developing talent from within. But the last thing that you want to do is say, oh, here we are, it's November, the Sabres aren't looking good, let's look forward to the draft. Well, guys, an 18-year-old player, if you're looking to an 18- or 19-year-old player to fix this, that's just, that, that's just so misguided. I mean, you have to start moving out roster players, get some guys that are 25, 26, 27 years old, you know, and I think they're, you know, they're prepared to do that despite, you know, kind of the, you know, I guess Jason Botterill yesterday wasn't really uh, committing to making a trade right now, but I think he's also not really opening up his wallet fully or, you know, showing his cards, I should say. Um, I think there's a move to be made, but no, look, Tim, when you look at the young guys right now, like Vogel just said it, Rasmus Asplund, he's a player that is an NHL player. He's going to be here moving forward. He's not going to be a top six forward, though. Sabres don't have a lot of guys that are top six forward potential outside of Dylan Cousins, and he's 18 years old, and you're not going to see him maybe until next year. So they have a lot of work to do, um, but it's a long process to develop young guys and get them to unseat these veterans. What do you make of the stat that John shared with us uh, last segment regarding Casey Middlestat? And you were just referring to it's a bad place to be when you need to count on super young players to uh, carry an offense. Here's a guy, he's he's 20 years old, he turns 21 later this week, but he's the eighth overall pick in the 2017 draft and has to just underscore the stat, or in case you didn't hear it, four shots in the last 30 periods. Yeah, so this year is a continuation of last year with Middlestat, where I think he's put into a situation, even though he's not playing quote-unquote second-line minutes, he's still carrying a pretty big load here as a young player. There's going to be guys, like if I was out walking my dogs here in half an hour and people were driving by, they're going to chuck tomatoes at me for saying this. But I'm not worried about Casey Middlestat long-term. <laughs> I'm really not. 
I think he just, this is a case of you better get his development un- under control now. Does that mean send him down to Rochester and just reset things? Maybe, maybe. But you got to maybe dial back his workload a little bit, find someone else who has more experience in this league to take some of that heat off of him. I really don't worry about him. I don't worry about Tate Thompson. They're just put into these positions way too early in their careers. And if there's going to be a hallmark of Jason Botterill's tenure here in Buffalo is that he's going to just reset this whole development cycle with young players. It's not just developing guys and stashing them in Europe for three or four years and letting them cook over there so you get a more finished product by the time that you sign them. But even with these kids in college and everything else, he's going to start taking his time with players. The problem is you're going to see it with Cousins next year. I think that ownership, I think that, you know, the, I think really it is. It's ownership and the people at PSC are really putting pressure on Botterill to get these early picks, like these, these high picks, into the NHL as quickly as possible. Well, sometimes it's not as good for the player as, you know, it looks on paper. And it's going to be interesting to see what they do with Cousins next year and test that theory. Do they send them back to the WHL for another year? Or do they throw them out there to the wolves and just let them learn on the fly? We'll see. Chris, what do you make of, you know, you mentioned, and it's a, a good point to make, this isn't football where you can count on a guy that you draft to help you out a couple months later and really impact your team. And Jason Botterill's coming under a lot of heat, probably rightfully so, for not um, doing enough with this roster heading into the year. But what do you make of the job that he's done drafting since he's been here and, and what he's sort of stocked the cupboard with, because that's one of the probably one of the best ways to judge the job he's done. And, and sometimes it the, you know, the results don't show up right away. So how do you think he's done in that regard? You know, so it's hard to miss when you get a, an opportunity to draft Rasmus Dahlin, right? So you just take that out of the equation for a second. And the irony is that, you know, a lot of the scuttlebutt with these Sabres fans that are just irate that they haven't made a deal yet is because they have this glut of defensemen, of NHL defensemen. Well, that whole thing with defensemen has really carried over to his drafting philosophy. He's used a lot of picks on high-quality defensemen. I've, never, I've been doing this prospect crap for, I don't know, 15 years now. I've never seen this many quality defensemen in the Sabres prospect stable. A couple of them are overseas, a couple of them are in college, you know what I mean? But he's got a lot of guys there. So now moving forward, his strategy, he has to shift up front, get a mix of talent. You have to get some speed. This team needs a lot of jam. They need some attitude. Of course, you always want skill, but they need guys that play with heart and determination, finish their hits, and, ha- and can actually score some goals, too. They're not mutually exclusive things there, okay? You can find a player that actually cares when he doesn't have the puck and goes and gets it, but also has the aptitude to score a goal. I don't know. I haven't seen it around here for so long. I don't think that player exists anymore, Chris. Yeah, well, you Players know, they're, who they're care when play. they don't have the puck? <laughs> I don't know. Well, you know what I'm saying, though? Like, I think that you're going to see... You're talking about unicorns and leprechauns. <laughs> hey, listen, man. I've seen a couple. I've seen a couple, you know? But, no, I think that's where you're going to see him uh, shift his focus. He can't keep drafting defensemen. You know, he's got enough mobile defensemen. they got a nice mix of skill sets and their defensive prospects. Get some wingers, get a couple more centermen, create some competition in the system, get some guys that can score goals. What are your thoughts on the Leafs uh, firing uh, Mike Babcock? And oh, should this, where do the Sabres put him in the organization? <laughs> I, love, I love that they gassed him, number one, because it's such a nightmare, like, I've been saying this like the past couple of weeks. Friends are like, oh, what do you, uh, Sabres are awful. I'm like, well, you know, you're not Toronto, you know? Like, I kind of just love watching it burn up in Toronto. And I know there's people that could probably hear this show up there. 
I, I feel for you, Toronto fans, but, you know, this team, they needed to do that. And, um, you know, Dubis needs to get a guy in there that is his hire, and he's going to roll with Sheldon Keith and see where it goes and see how the team reacts. You know, Marner got hurt. They missed Tavares for a little bit up there. They got a lot of, they got a lot of issues up there. Well, you know what? They don't have defensemen either, though. So it's like, here are the Sabres, an hour and a half away. They got like 9 million defensemen. They have four decent ones up there in Toronto, but they probably need a couple more. <laughs> you know, like no one wants to trade within the division or whatever. Forget about it. You know, maybe there's a natural match right there, but um, I, I don't know. I, I'm just looking for Mike Commodore. Anyone who follows Mike Commodore on Twitter, this guy hates Babcock. I haven't looked at his Twitter feed yet, but I'm sure he's going to have a nice little tweet storm soon if he hasn't already on Babcock. Chris Baker, uh, can't thank you enough for joining us. And uh, I do also want to say how much I appreciate the sentiment that on an afternoon when the Maple Leafs fire their head coach, that people in Canada are tuning into the Tim Graham show Oh, on listen, Sports Radio 1270, the fan. This is Tim Graham show worldwide, man. Come on, don't, don't ever underestimate your reach. Wait, Babcock got fired? What's Graham saying about it? <laughs> hey, man. I, I hear it. I hear it. They're they're looking at you right now for your opinion, so you better come out strong at the 5 o'clock block and let it rip. <laughs> Chris, I appreciate it. Hopefully I see you uh, very soon. You will, sir. Thank you. All right, that was Chris Baker on the NCCC Thunderwolves hotline. Come be a part of a winning team at Niagara County Community College. And, of course, you can follow Chris Baker at Sabres Prospects. Uh, when we come back, we're going to have some uh, Colin Kaepernick talk, whether you like it or not. We're going to hear from Lorenzo Alexander, Buffalo Bills linebacker, and also a uh, member of the executive committee of the NFL Players Association for his thoughts on what happened uh, with Colin Kaepernick's workout, what the NFL attempted to do, uh, what Colin Kaepernick felt he needed to do in response. And we're also going to hear from Tim Kawakami, the uh, editor-in-chief of the Athletic Bay Area. Uh, he wrote a column today regarding Colin Kaepernick's situation in which he resets things Spins the clock back to 2016 when this really happened. And the farther we go and get away from 2016, uh, I think the more gets lost. And that's why Tim uh, wrote the column that he did uh, at The Athletic Today uh, from uh, 2016 when he covered Colin Kaepernick. He goes back to the scene of the genesis of the whole thing. Alice Cooper. Some poison, Bobby. Look at you. This was one of my all-time favorite songs. Really? I, I, owned, I owned this single at one point. Wow. Cassette single? Mm-hmm. Nice. What a waste of tape. But Absolutely. Cool. <laughs> and more Broncos at Bills talk when we come back on the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Shampoo Travis, Besaw, Kirshner, CPAs and business consultants on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. This is The Tim Graham Show. Welcome to The Tim Graham Show. The Tim Graham Show. This is Sports Radio 1270. Just not hitting the hole. The fan. I know I'm going to get pimped. They're going to pimp me. Yeah, I love sausage. Shocking. Dizzying. How did this happen? When I bring the lumber, it's all about the hole. Tim Graham Show. I did old, uh, some poll. Uh, over the weekend. Right. Not me so honia. I did have an accident with a menorah. Here we go. On Twitter at 1270. The fan. Wet Taking your calls at 270-1270. What's up, baby? How you doing? Here we go. 
The Tim Graham Show. When's the last time you read the New Testament? Huh? I'm trying to put my junk back in place. You're one of the guys I'm following on Twitter, you know. Well, I like this guy, uh, Tim Graham. Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Shampoo Travis Bison Kirshner, CPAs and business consultants, celebrating their 25th year out in Amherst for all your business consulting needs. Still trying to come up with an acquisition. I'm going to acquire something. Yeah, it's got to be by something by the end important. of the year, right? No, it doesn't have to be anything important. Okay. It could just be something to add to my portfolio. Oh. You know. And I don't mean like my I mean my business my organizational portfolio. Yeah, like yeah. A, Why don't you uh, acquire some good sports takes? <laughs> <laughs> That's Matt Fairburn of the Athletic. He covers the Buffalo Bills. He's here all week. Jonah Bronstein uh, is not in the studio right now. I think he's running to get a cup of coffee, but he's here. He's here. He's around. He's on the premises. And uh, Bobby Rosati did on the knobs. Uh, Jonah is going to cover the Toledo at UB football game tonight. How Action. big? How big is this game? Because they are the UB unable to close out Kent State last Thursday. Is the that was the victory that would have gotten them to bowl eligibility? How is there? Do they still have plenty of room to get bowl eligible? Or how are these games? How tight is it for them? Well, UB's five and five, so they're, if they win one more game, they'll be bowl eligible. You need six wins. As UB fans and that program found out two years ago, that doesn't always get you a bowl game, especially in the MAC. Uh, Miami last year was a six and six team that didn't go to a bowl game. I do think Buffalo has a better chance of being in a bowl game with a six and six record this year than they did two years ago, just the way that bowl math will work out and some of the things I've looked at. But I don't think they want to be in that position. They'd much, much rather be a 7-5 and five team that knows it's going to a bowl game. So they're going to have to win these last two games at home tonight against Toledo, next Friday against Bowling Green, to ensure that they'll have a bowl game and extend their season by another month. Tonight, though, they're favored to win. Favored by a touchdown against Toledo, which was the preseason MAC favorites. And Toledo's already bowl eligible at 6-4. and four. Both of these teams are 3-3 three and three in the MAC. Toledo hasn't played great of late. UB, aside from that fourth quarter at Kent State, has played very well. They had three wins by 20-plus points and were up by three touchdowns in the fourth quarter before having several special teams miscues and kind of, I think, thought the game was over and stopped playing. Maybe not the coaching staff, but the players seemed to play like this game was over, let's go, let's get on the bus, let's get back home, and lost the momentum and couldn't recover from that. That... 10 minutes aside, they played a very good game, and they've been playing very well since their bye week, since Kyle Vantries came in and sort of stabilized the passing offense at quarterback. And I think they have a good chance to win these final two games. And as I've been saying all year, the big thing, going to a bowl game is obviously the goal for this team. Well, the goal was the MAC championship, but the secondary goal is to go to a bowl game. But being a team that's bowl eligible 500 or better for a third straight season shows the consistency that this program's lacked ever since it came up to Division One. It had a really good year, winning the MAC championship under Turner Gill, went 5-7 and seven the next year. Had a really good year under Jeff Quinn when Khalil Mack was a senior. The next year they have a losing record. Jeff Quinn gets fired by the end of that season. So 
being a team that had their greatest season in history last year and came back with a very young roster after a lot of graduations and transfers and still being 500 or better, especially if they do get to 7-5, and five, is a very good sign for the stability and where this program is going under Lance Leipold. The game is out in Amherst at 7.30. Uh, you don't normally think of college football on a Wednesday night, so if that's something that's escaped you, it might be something you want to check out this evening. But to common l- with the Mac. It's an ESPN True, game. True, right. And, and Thursday, Wednesdays and Thursdays. It's mm-hmm. a common Mac thing. But if you get in a cycle of thinking, hey, I wonder who UB's playing on Saturday. I think people are trained to think that way. The game's actually tonight, and you can go out and check it out, out in Amherst. And... The spread has gotten to be as big as nine and a half points now for the for UB. So, and I'm surprised by that. I, I think I like UB's chances of playing well and winning the game, but to be nine and a half points favorites against another okay MAC team or should be a good MAC team at least. That's what we thought going into the season. Surprises me a little bit. Yeah, especially since though. UB doesn't always score a lot of points unless the defense gets some defensive touchdowns. The UB total, basketball has a big game tomorrow, too. Total is 54 points uh, for Toledo at UB uh, tonight. And uh, basketball, what? They're playing UConn in Charleston. It's part of the Charleston Classic. And I don't know if UB basketball is quite what they were last year in terms of a team that might be able to get an at-large bid in the NCAA tournament. But if they are, you know, this is the key weekend for them. If they can beat UConn, then they get games potentially against Xavier and Florida. By the way, UConn just beat Florida. So if they can get those type of games, some of those wins against uh, – you know, ranked or borderline ranked teams, and they do play as well in the max season as they have the last couple of years, then they might be in position to be a possible at-large team or at worst an, an NIT-type team. UConn, Xavier, Florida, slightly higher profile than Dartmouth and uh, Harvard, although Harvard whoever. was a team that was getting votes in the AP poll coming into the season. Harvard's a, a good Ivy League team, a good mid-major team, but not the same level. I mean, they didn't look as talented as Buffalo, so they're, they're certainly not – as talented as UConn or Xavier or Florida. I want to talk for a little bit about Colin Kaepernick uh, before we have our next guest on after the break, Tim Kawakami, the editor-in-chief of the Athletic Bay Area, uh, who wrote a column, and I'll I'll tweet it out here in case anybody uh, wants to take a look at it before Tim Kawakami comes on with us. But uh, Colin Kaepernick's workout, it was Saturday in Atlanta. It was supposed to take place at the Atlanta Falcons facility, uh, the NFL was going to be the only uh, entity to film it, and fans were not going to be allowed. No media was allowed, and there were some onerous words in the contract or in the waiver that the NFL put uh, to Colin Kaepernick for the ability to uh, have this workout. He essentially was going to have to sign away any future rights to Uh, litigation against the NFL or anybody else, for that matter, involved uh, any of the 32-member clubs, uh, doctors, coaches, whatever. And uh, Colin Kaepernick arrived, uh, did not sign that waiver, but he knew people were in town to watch him work out. So uh, he went to a local high school, worked out there, allowed the media to attend, allowed anybody who had a, I guess, as so much as a cell phone uh, to videotape it, to share it. It went out. The media had it. Um, only a handful of teams made the trip from the Atlanta Falcons facility to the impromptu site, uh, which was the, the local high school out, I guess, near the airport, um, which I guess should have made it easier for you to attend because if you're a scout and you said, hey, man, I came all the way down here for this 
thing. Well, at least it was near the airport. You, if, yeah, so you, it didn't. There were some people who, you know, through certain reporters, uh, were saying, oh, well, you know, because of flights, I didn't have time to get there. I think even Pete Carroll said that they sent a guy, but, you know, the, he had a flight to catch. The workout was, what, an hour later than it was supposed to be? And closer to the airport, pretty close to the airport, in fact. And I don't know that that, unless you were, your flight was scheduled so tight up against that three o'clock workout, which wouldn't seem to be smart in general, but also speaks to the NFL's problem in scheduling this on short notice for these teams. All of a sudden they have to, A, make a decision whether they're going to be there and logistically figure out how they're going to get there, who's going to go. And, you know, I doubt anybody was so tight up against, you know, a a flight that they couldn't go to a place that was closer to the airport. It didn't make a lot of sense. I got into this uh, in the locker room today with Lorenzo Alexander for the purpose of this show. I wanted to get his thoughts. And the reason I want to talk to Lorenzo Alexander beyond that he has played in the NFL for so long uh, is that he serves on the executive committee of the NFL Players Association. He is a vice president and has been for a number of years. And so he's a guy that wouldn't just be speaking off the top of his head regarding this topic. It's This is something that uh, not only has he given considerable thought to, maybe has even had discussions uh, at a very high level of, of uh, approach or uh, how to, uh, I guess, just how to process uh, the NFL and Colin Kaepernick and the whole situation. So uh, I spoke with him for five minutes, and uh, here it is. Um, you know, it's um, I, I see it from both sides, and obviously the way things have kind of unfolded is unfortunate because obviously Cap is still playing. He still wants to play, uh, but at the same time, he's kind of, you know, in a – in a situation to where he has to be subjected by the league. And, you know, I've been around long enough. We know the league is always going to do what's going to protect them and do things that's ideal and going to put them in the best light. Um, And so from a player's perspective, I understand why Cap wanted media, wanted to do a certain type of way so he could control his narrative. And so there has to be, you know, hopefully you think they would be able to come to some type of an agreement to where he really gets a real opportunity to maybe come in and work out for teams and get, and get a shot to play again. But it's just just unfortunate because I can see it from both sides. I know what the league is trying to do, and I understand what Cap is going to do. And naturally, you're going to butt heads. And, and what I found over the years, it's hard enough to get the league to move when you got 2,000 players from the PA trying to change some things. And for one player to go up against it, it's almost impossible. But, you know, kudos to Cap for standing up on his principles and, and really making sure that he, you know, hopefully maybe changes for some future guys that may find themselves in similar situations. You mentioned there, just kind of in passing, you think that he still can play. How much yeah. do you think he deserves to be in the league or on a roster right now? Um, well, deserving is, I mean, he's put in the work, you know. Obviously, he's played in his league and played very high in his league and, and has some success. Um, and so I think he deserves an opportunity, you know, whether it's an OTAs, uh, training camp to get a shot to, to compete for a job. Um, at this point in the season, I don't know how much he can show, you know, in that regard as far as helping a team, um, you know, picking up an offense, learning it. He probably could if it was with a, a team that he's familiar with. Um, and so at some point he should get, a, get an opportunity. But will it happen, you know, based on the history of the league and how they operate and, and everything that's surrounded the situation? You know, I'm not. I'm not holding my breath. 
Uh, this seemed like a pretty loaded situation for him to have to deal with, and he clearly was prepared for it. Right. And he went in with his eyes wide open. Mm-hmm. But I guess from a, a player who's so involved in the in the players' association, I don't want to use the word disappointment or put, to put a word in your mouth. Yeah. But I guess how, as you saw it unfold, how was well, disappointing that that he's been put in a situation uh, based on a, uh, a peaceful protest um, that obviously everybody didn't agree with because they don't understand the perspective and the reality where he comes from and, and, the, and the community that he was speaking for. And at the end of the day, um, you know, this business is ran by money, and when sponsors move on or, or and, that, and, and that's the driving force behind some things, uh, what's right oftentimes gets put on the back burner. And so that's probably the most disappointing thing about this whole situation because he's stand, trying to stand up for people that have been disenfranchised, they don't have a voice. And because of that sacrifice, he can't do something that he loves to do um, and that he was really good at. And um, at the end of the day, that's, I mean, that's what it really comes down to. That's the reason why he's not in the league. And you can, people can talk until they blue in the face about some other reason why, but that's the reason why. And, and he's been he's – been, really deemed the face of that movement, even though there's been other guys, you know, obviously Eric Reed, that's really good buddies with him, is back in the league now, but he's been deemed the face and, uh, you know, at the end of the day, he's kind of been been made the example of because of, of what, what he really started. What was your reaction when you very first heard that there was going to be this tryout? Before you heard anything about the waiver yeah, um, or anything I else, thought it was but... going to be an opportunity, you know, just like, okay, they're going to give him an opportunity, got some teams coming out. Um, obviously, uh, you know, people made a big a big deal about when it was and how it was on a Saturday, but it made sense to me because most teams do their individual workouts on Tuesday, so let's do it on a Saturday where you get some of your scouts. A lot of scouts travel anyway on Saturdays to college games. But they're and, generally booked to those college games. To have to change on short notice, that seemed um, to be a, Yeah, but it had, been, it had to be in the works. It wasn't like yeah. it was just a week out. And, this, and, and most NFL staffs have several scouts in their department. It's not like it's one or two guys. Yeah. True. So they have more than enough manpower to send at least a guy out, have it filmed, everybody watch it. You see mm-hmm. what you realize, and it's being taped. Um, and so I thought it was going to be a, a legit opportunity. Now, obviously, with all the other stuff that happened with it, um, it, it turned into being something different. Um, and so that, that was unfortunate that it couldn't just be, you know, a real genuine opportunity for him. And at the same time, I understand some of his demands, you know, wanting to make sure he controlled his, his narrative because it's easy for him to – Hey, yeah, you worked out. Oh, he was bad. And, oh, well, where's the proof? Well, let's see the film. Well, we're not going to release that, you know? And right. so from a player's perspective, he's trying, to, he's trying to give himself the best opportunity to say, well, I can still play. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Lorenzo. Yep. I appreciate your thoughts. Yeah, that. no worries. That was Lorenzo Alexander, Buffalo Bills linebacker and vice president uh, of the NFL Players Association. Your, any thoughts, Dad, on what Lorenzo had to say, Matt? Uh, I think he's, he's the perfect guy to, to speak on it. Uh, given his perspective, as you mentioned, with a lot of time in the league and how involved he is with with the Players Association. And I think what what stands out is that is it's almost an afterthought to a lot of these guys that play that, oh, yeah, that guy deserves to be in the league. Like that's sort of understood for a lot of these guys. And I think that's part of what Tim Kawakami was trying to write about is just – the way the narrative has been hijacked in a lot of different ways and, you know, how people just think this guy was not a good player towards the end. And he certainly wasn't what he was, but he wasn't a bad player either. And I think almost to a man, uh, you walk around locker rooms, defensive players, guys who have played against him, 
even talking to Micah Hyde last week about his rookie year and, you know, when he stopped feeling like a rookie and he talked about, man, I got thrown into the fire week one against Colin Kaepernick in the 49ers, talking about him as a, a big-time player. That's the part about it that's that's a little bit annoying. And as, you know, Lorenzo Alexander said, the league is always just trying to do what's best for the league, which to some extent you understand. That's, that's the bottom line. It's the bottom line, but they're not, you know, that was – the real slimy part of last week is how it was all thrown together and um, how they've using the NFL network to almost twist the narrative. It was really kind of sketchy to me seeing, seeing it go across the bottom line that, you know, Kaepernick canceled the workout. It was like, well, where's the line that he actually did work out and it it never followed. There was also what at least Nike claims to have been, a lie, uh, the NFL announcing that, uh, hey, we didn't have any problem with people coming to film it. In fact, we allowed Nike to come in. They wanted to come in and do a commercial off this. And now, of course, that's a that's a dog, not a dog whistle, but it's a, it's it's like a, it's one of those things that gets you off of the football aspect of it. It's like, ah, it's a publicity stunt. Kaepernick well, yeah, was it using it. It makes you it. think Kaepernick is trying to use this not for his own it, personal yeah. gain. He's not taking this seriously. To, right. He's just using it as a stunt. And then there's the whole fact of, you know, they're sitting there talking about it on NFL Network and talking about, you know, how whatever opinion on either side. And in the background, they're rolling footage from the workout. The league didn't want this filmed and wasn't going to allow it to be filmed. And now they're using the footage from the workout. You know, it's, it's because all just, it's content. Because and the it's con- content, once the content's yeah. out there, then it's like, well, hell, now we got to have this content, right. too. And, but the, the bottom line really struck me when the, it was like, yeah, Kaepernick called off this workout. It's like. Where's the line about that he actually did work out? Like he went through a workout and and he didn't look bad, you know? So just the way the the NFL was handling the whole thing and and you can say what you want about how Colin Kaepernick handled it too, perhaps not perfectly, but he was up against it uh, big time and it's hard to I think that's another great point Lorenzo Alexander made. It's hard enough to be up against the league with over 2000 members of a union when you're up against the league as one guy like Colin Kaepernick you're never going to win we're going to talk to Tim Kawakami right after this break uh, regarding his uh, column that posted this morning uh, at the athletic and his thoughts on how and how we have deviated so much from the the original subject and the uh, what this really was about when when uh, Colin Kaepernick uh became a controversy and how far removed we are from that Uh, tim kawakami resets us gets us back to that uh, with his column we're going to talk to him about that when we uh, come back on the tim graham show brought to you by ctbk on sports radio 1270 the fan welcome back to the tim graham show which is officially brought to you by shampoo tree Never fails, right? I can't get through an episode without it. I think you do it on purpose. I think this is a bit. <laughs> Officially, the Tim Graham Show is brought to you by Shampoo Travis Besaw and Kirshner, CPAs and business consultants. Today's episode, though, has unofficially been brought to us by The Athletic. We had our first guest today. Well, first off, I'm Tim Graham of The Athletic. <laughs> Here in studio, as always, is Matthew Fairburn, who covers the Bills for The Athletic. Our first guest 
was John Vogel, who covers the Buffalo Sabres for The Athletic. <laughs> Our second guest was Chris Baker, who sometimes writes for The Athletic. That's in his portfolio of places to write for. And now joining us on the NCCC Thunderwolves hotline, we go all the way across the country to speak with editor-in-chief of the Athletic Bay Area, Tim Kawakami, who for many years was the lead columnist at the San Jose Mercury News and in that role covered Colin Kaepernick when he became... The Colin Kaepernick that we know now, the two the two lives of Colin Kaepernick, right? The the quarterback, Tim Kawakami was there for that, and then Tim is there when Colin Kaepernick becomes this larger than life thing, this phenomenon, controversy. Uh, Tim, thanks for joining us. Hey, good to be on. I, who, who else can have from the athletic on? You're just going to have to keep going with this all, all day, all night, twenty four seven. I I dip into this well probably more often than I should. It's like uh, it's free labor. There's a camaraderie among us, and I have a tendency to uh, play that card a little too often. No problem. No, I just think it's what, what does strike me is it even goes before 2016 with Kaepernick. I mean, I covered him when he was, you know, this hot new thing, you know, in the NFL, look at him, you know, he blows through defenses. He's replacing Alex Smith. Warner's are going to the Super Bowl after 2012 season. Uh, 2013 was very good. Uh, you know, magazine covers, he was a little bit of an enigma. He didn't talk much. He was a little, uh, as I put in the piece, he was often rude uh, to staffers, to media members, uh, a little aloof. Uh, 2014 went through some issues. Harbaugh gets fired. He was associated with Harbaugh. 2015, it was terrible. The team was terrible. And then 2016 preseason, this begins, and it's this thing to to to, to kind of change everything. And and he starts talking, and he, he just takes every question. And I even asked him in the middle, of like, what happened? Well, you didn't used to talk to us at all, and now you answer every question. And he was saying, yeah, he had a lot of things on his mind in the past. He, he didn't quite have them ready to say, and and now he was ready to say it. So it, I did think at this moment in time, I've been thinking this for a little while. There's so much speculation and people rewriting history and wanting to say what really happened in 2016 during the protest and what is it a circus and was he good was he terrible and like I was there I I was in that locker room almost every time he spoke watched every play he, he, and it, 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 there was a reality to this we just can't reshape history to fit what we feel now you can have whatever opinion you have about him that's okay. But don't try to say what the facts were when you don't know what the facts were. And and I was there. Uh, and Tim, here's you appreciate this. The locker room is the locker room. Weird things happen in the locker room, but it isn't a circus every single day. It's just a locker room. It's a football locker room. People kind of look at it and maybe roll their eyes if there's a ton of media on a person who isn't playing much. Then it kind of goes away after you know 16 games is a lot. And it wasn't an everyday search. It was not. It absolutely was not. And that's the kind of the main point I had to start that column. When people talk about should Colin Kaepernick be signed? Oh, it's going to be a circus. You see that workout in Atlanta? Like that's one day. And it will if he is signed. I don't know that he will be. Maybe he won't. It's not going to be a circus every day in the NFL. It just isn't. It's not the reality of this situation. The column that I uh, urge everyone to check out uh, from Tim Kawakami is uh, the headline is the facts and myths about Colin Kaepernick's last 49er season and what they tell us about him now. And uh, you mentioned uh, you, you make a very good point, uh, Tim, but I think it can be even stronger in that, as you know, and maybe maybe it's different in the Bay Area, but as somebody who's 
who's covered the AFC East. I've been in the locker rooms in New England and the New York Jets and the Miami Dolphins. Um, it always seems to be this way no matter where you are. It's not so much of having to survive the season or enduring until it fades out. Uh, when it does happen, it's usually that Wednesday, which is the biggest media day of the week. Yep. You have a lot more media there. It's usually the day the quarterback talks. Um, once you get past Wednesday, it's almost like you know Thursdays and Fridays in an NFL locker room is a pretty subdued, relatively speaking, thing. So even then, it's not even a circus. It, it, it might just be a, a big day once a week. And then the quarterback Great goes point. away, and he you don't hear from him again until the next Wednesday. And by the way, Colin Kaepernick is going to be the backup quarterback where if he signs, right? He, he, he was in 16. It had just happened. It had never happened like this. You know, president, the president-elect is ripping him, and it was a pretty big deal, and then it sort of went away. And he was the starting quarterback of 49ers for most of that season. He will not be the starting quarterback for whatever team he signs with, if he does, in the NFL, at least to begin with. So, again, this whole process of how big a deal and will people have it thrown in their face. He was going to be standing on a sideline. <laughs> He's a backup. This is the point, I think, that people have to understand. Oh, they see this thing, this workout. It's crazy. People are talking about it on first take, and it's, it's Fox News. And That's outside. That's the outside stuff. In a locker room, on a team, it's not that big a deal after the first rush of things. And I, I think maybe some teams are fearful of that first rush of things. I'll tell you, I was in the middle of it. 49ers were fearful of it, then it wasn't that big a deal. And this is with him as a starting quarterback on a terrible football team. Uh, the, I think the players themselves were, there's no question that they were like, whoa, what's going on here? I mean, it kind of got thrown at them. They were a bad team hoping not to be bad. And but then Kaverman talked to them. The thing went through it, and it wasn't again. It wasn't that big a deal. And yeah, specifically on the days Thursday and Friday and whatever, it wasn't. And Sundays either. It wasn't that big a deal. It's just you're just playing football. Guys are trying to win football games. And they're not thinking about oh my god on Wednesday there was a big big crowd in the in the locker room and oh my god Rush Limbaugh's talking about us and oh my god CNN did it. They're not thinking about that. So uh, I always talk about fans and, and other people projecting. They're projecting their own experiences, their own opinions on what might happen, and this is what literally did happen in 2016. It, and it can't get bigger than that. I'm going to tell you that right now. It cannot be bigger than that. And it's already three years removed from it. It's just not going to be as big a circus as people imagine it to be. There's a lot of other things we can put into it. Was he great? Was he terrible? You know, He was somewhere in between. He was a normal NFL quarterback. Some good, some bad, and that's another part of this that I think people are now looking back. Oh, he was the worst quarterback ever. No. I've seen a lot of terrible quarterbacks in my time. I would tell you if he was terrible. He was not terrible. And, in fact, there are there were quarterbacks on that team who still are in the league right now who were way worse than him, and that's always been my barometer for this. And I should have had some players in many different leagues tell me they'd like that I do this. Blaine Gabbard, worse than Colin Kaepernick. There is not a really way to prove anything else. He is worse than Colin Kaepernick. He's been in this league this entire time. Colin, Colin Kaepernick has not. As long as that happens, there's some amount of uh, unfairness about this, and there's some amount of blackballing going on, because I can tell you there is not a football player who's been on the field with them together, and there are a lot of them who have who would tell you that Blaine Gabbard is a better quarterback than Colin Kaepernick. Just the fact. That's it. It's hard. It, 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 anybody who's played football will agree with that. And these are some of the points I just want to put down in the column once and for all and just say, okay, deal with this however you want to deal with it. These are the facts of 2016. 
We're in conversation with Athletic Bay Area Editor-in-Chief Tim Kawakami on the NCCC Thunderwolves hotline. Uh, Tim, I just wanted to ask because you mentioned maybe it is the circus uh, or the belief that it is a circus or will be a circus or maybe it's the deficiency in skill or what have you, but what what do you think is the most misleading narrative of all the different narratives that are out there? Which one do you find to be the most misleading? Yeah, I led with the circus part. We already talked about it. I, I think that's just overblown kind of people looking into something. Uh, but what, since we talked about it already, I think the other one is that he has given up opportunities to play in the past. And that's just, I mean, I, again, I would have written it if it was true. And he, I've been he backed out of his contract. He wasn't cut. He, he, it was his decision to walk away. Exactly. And, and, and I didn't even put that in the column because it happened in 2017. But the 49ers, you know, Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch had just taken over, and they told him, we're going to cut you on before April 1, which is when they had to cut him before his contract became guaranteed. They told him, we're cutting you. So he did in March, on March 1, giving himself, as we know, players like to have time on the marketplace. He opted out, which was his right. And then he didn't get signed, but he opted out to get himself on the marketplace, knowing that he was not going to have a contract with 49ers. This has been repeated way more often than I can. Like, it's provable. It's like John Lynch has said this with no reason to lie, to say, we told Colin he was going to get cut. He did not walk away from a contract. The contract was not going to exist. And the other one is the John Elway thing, where Elway himself said, oh, yeah, he had a chance of a contract. We offered him, and he didn't take it. Now, that was before all this happened. That was in April 2016, when they were talking about a trade to the Broncos, before the protest began, when he had $11.9 million guaranteed with 49ers. And the Broncos said, we'll offer you seven if you want to be traded. And Kaepernick said, no, I'll take 11.9. I'll stay with the 49ers, which he did. And he got paid that money. These are some of these weird things out there that are still, like, provably wrong. Not like some agenda and some biased take is that, oh, no, no. He has not had an opportunity to play football in the NFL since the end of that season, 2016. It's not even, like, there's been no contractual offer. There's been no, nothing. Now, you can argue team by team, should he be offered one? That's fine. Are you mad at him for this? That's fine. But when, when it's spun as he walked away from the 49er contract, no, there was no 49er contract. When it's spun as the Broncos, he walked with the Broncos, no, he had already had a contract, and he played with it in the 49ers. The, these are the weird things that come up in a situation like this that I think it's important to clarify. I can't believe they keep coming up, but they do. Uh, and that was one of the reasons I wrote this piece, to try to be as fact-based as I possibly could be, knowing that this was going to be attacked, certainly by one side of this. But there you go. These are This is what I saw. And no one else who was there with me is denying any of this. In fact, they're supporting me. This is actually how it was in 2016. Tim, another interesting and I think important point that you bring up here is that there was no schism in the locker room and you know we talk about the distraction that the the media circus could cause which wasn't really a thing but another thing people like to bring up and I think we saw it to some extent on a much smaller scale here with Richie Incognito when he got brought here was you know what's this going to do to the locker room and a lot of times the NFL locker room is so big and there's so much going on that you know, these things aren't as big a deal as people think. What, from your perspective, was that dynamic like for him when all of that's going on? And all locker rooms are dealing with the anthem protest, but obviously the 49ers were dealing with it on a different scale. Here's the weird little twist on that. Again, I can add some context. 
because he was starting quarterback for many years before that. And it was a little bit, you know, he wasn't the most beloved starting quarterback in the world. He takes a job from Alex Smith. They go to the Super Bowl, whatever. Those are all good. He's Jim Harbaugh's favorite. Personality quirks, though, and he'd been ripped by the front office in the years before that. So it was this weird thing where he wasn't that well-known in the the locker room going into this. Then this happened. Then, you know, there's no question some players were, were... bothered by it or just didn't understand why it was happening. Why are they thrust into this? Then he talks to them in a way that he hadn't talked. This is the, some of the broader point of this. They didn't really know him, most of the players in that locker room. He talked to them about this. They could ask him about this. He said, anytime you want to ask me why I'm doing this, come up, we'll talk. They talked to him and got to know him better than they had for years before that, while he was a starting quarterback, while he was taking them to the Super Bowl. And in fact, made him closer, I would say, with a lot of players, chatting with guys that he didn't. You know, we didn't used to see Kaepernick chatting with guys. This is before the, the protest. Now, the first couple weeks, yes, you know, 25 cameras around the guy, there were maybe some eye rolls. You know that. In a locker room, they don't love that all the time. But when he's talking to them, when they realize he's out there, he's not skipping practices. He's not blowing off meetings. He's there working as hard as they do. He always has been a hard worker trying to win games, trying trying to win football games. And this was just another thing. And, and if they ever thought, I, I can guarantee you this, if they ever smelt that this was inauthentic, that he was doing this for publicity, that it was some kind of manufactured thing, it wasn't. And I, I was there. The first time he protested, well, he sat on the side and no one saw it in, in, this, in the, what, the first preseason game or the second preseason game. It was only the third preseason game when he was kneeling that someone had took a video and zeroed in and saw him not. That's when it really broke. He wasn't announcing he was doing this. He just was doing it. So the authenticity of it, the, you know, I'll talk to you about it whenever you want to, the fact that they didn't know him real well before this and they got to know him, all these things are interesting mix. And by the end of the season, through all this time, terrible football team, He's voted the most inspirational player, and I think that took well took me by surprise just because I thought they were going to give it to somebody who wasn't as controversial. But it does tell you an award that the 49ers themselves always call their most prestigious. When you know Frank Gore wins it, DeForest Buckner wins it. These are Justin Smith. These are pillars of the locker room, and Colin Kaepernick wins in 2016 in the middle of all this. A guy who never would have won it before the protest. I should have probably put that in the piece. Never would have won this before the protest. Wins it the season that everything is supposedly, you know, a circus. This guy wins the most inspirational player. That's pretty meaningful. I mean, it certainly was to the players in that locker room. I know that. The column at uh, The Athletic is the facts and myths about Colin Kaepernick's last 49er season and what they tell us about him now by Tim Kawakami, editor-in-chief of The Athletic Bay Area. Tim, thanks so much for joining us and talking about this with us. You got it anytime. Appreciate it. That was Tim Kawakami on the NCCC Thunderwolves Hotline. Come be a part of a winning team at Niagara County Community College. When we come back, we're going to have Joel Staniszewski on the line from Vegas to talk about the Bills-Broncos matchup. By the way, Joel Staniszewski, not of the athletic. So he is bucking the trend. Change up. Yeah. Not yet. Not yet. (laughs) We'll try to get him in. When we come back on the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by CTBK. Seems so bright. I've lost a few more hairs. This is 
The Tim Graham Show. I like this guy, uh, Tim Graham. Is Sports Radio 1270 the fan? The Tim Graham Show. You're a young athlete. You're brimming with confidence. You're, I don't know if you're single or not. Are you single? On Twitter at 1270 the fan. The Tim Graham Show. Now on Sports Radio 1270 the fan. And on the fans app. Free to download in the App Store. Welcome back to the home of Butt Rock. The Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Shampoo Travis Besaw and Kirshner, CPAs and business consultants. If you weren't listening to last week's show, you have right. no idea what that reference is. Yeah, a little odd. They'll figure it out. Where did, did we heard some butt rock down in Florida, didn't we? It uh, yes. got brought up again in the, in yes, the press box. Yes, I don't think. remember what it was, but I remember us saying, that's butt rock. Really? Hey, what? before we go to Joel... Just mentioned that uh, Bonna and Kanisha's play at the arena on Saturday, and Damon plays in the opener that doubleheader at noon. If you want to see Andrew Cisco, Division II National Player of the Week, two weeks in a row, averaging 25 points, 15 rebounds. He's just a 70%. junior. He's a redshirt junior, right? So he's got one more year. He'll be playing professionally somewhere. Oh, right? yeah, yeah. I mean, we're not talking NBA. But I think he could be an NBA workout, NBA training camp, take a look. I mean, he's a traditional big man, and the game's going away from that, especially at the NBA level. But he'll be playing, I think, pro ball. He'll get paid somewhere. to play basketball. Yeah. yeah. Let's uh, let's get him. Let's let's get right to it. I hear there's a plane. Right here. From Buffalo to Las Vegas, it's Joel Bills make me wanna. Everyone who hates Tom Brady hates Tom Brady because he, he's not on there. Tomorrow is my birthday. <laughs> but I mean, this is just awesome. I mean, the excitement that's around the, the, the city of it. It's more like a royal flush. Joel Staniszewski of Sloan, of Buff State. Now of Las Vegas and has been for many years as an odds maker, handicapper, gambling analyst. He's joining us now on the NCCC Thunderwolves Hotline. Joel, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Always good to chat with Joel. Joel, what's going on with this Broncos at Bills game? Uh, the Broncos seem to be a pretty competitive team. They've played a much tougher schedule than the Bills have. And yet uh, they are, and as you'd expect, I mean, this is the the, line, the spread isn't out of out of whack. I don't think they're four point favorites. But uh, how confident are you in that? I'm going to uh, agree to disagree with you. I think that this is, from my guess, one of the worst lines of the year. Okay, of the year. Uh, yes. Break I it down for us. I think the Bills should be a much higher favorite. Um, I'm talking touchdown plus. Wow, so load up that, on so, the Bills. So the fact that it's a uh, it's coming down, it's it's kind of moving around. It's it opened at um, five and a half or five, went up to five and a half for a second, went down to five, four and a half, five, four and a half, now down to four. It's been down there for the last two days at four, which um, I bet it at five because I thought it was going to go up. This is something like I did against Cleveland, so maybe I'm not. Maybe me saying it's a bad number is not necessarily a good thing. Um, I that bet was at least five. a push. 
You weren't I so far five, off. I was, yeah, I was expecting it to come out or to, it to be closer to seven, if not more than seven. Um, so I bet it right away, expecting it to get moved up, and instead it, it's come down, so I might have to bet it again. Why do you think the spread should be larger? Uh, there's a lot of contributing factors. I mean, we're looking at a 3-7 and seven team versus a 7-3 and three team. We're looking at a team traveling 1,500 miles to a different time zone, to a different elevation, which granted is a better elevation if you're trying to play football. Um, the Broncos have played well the last, I'd say, five or so games. Um, they're 5-1 and one against the spread their last six games, uh, but they've lost. Of their, of their their three and eleven straight up in their last fourteen games, zero uh, and five against the spread. The last five games against Buffalo, uh, one and six straight up. Their last seven on the road. They're 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 just not a very complete team. There's nothing that other than their run game, which I think is a pretty solid run game, um, isn't anything that I think is better than Buffalo. You're mentioning uh, straight-up records there, but we're talking against the spread, so they've, they're mm-hmm. obviously really lopsided uh, uh, in a bad way uh, when it comes to straight-up. But as you mentioned, they're covering. Uh, so how do you analyze that? How do you reconcile, um, or not reconcile is not the right word, how do, you, what, how do you give weight to one over the other for this game? Uh, yes, obviously you, you want them, if you think you're going to bet them on the spread, you want the team that they're playing against to be bad against the spread. And the Broncos have been good compared to their straight up record. I mean, they're three and seven, but they're six and four against the spread. So they're covering, uh, in the games that they're playing, but they're covering, uh, I mean, they, they covered against the Vikings, who's a good team, uh, the Browns, the Colts, um, Titans, Chargers, so they've done well um, against better teams than we've played. Uh, but I think when it comes down to the bill, the Bills playing a more complete game, we're actually getting into that phase of the year. Just like when you're looking at any other sport, uh, whether it's hockey or basketball, when it gets into the playoff time, you want your team to be hitting on all cylinders at that point in time. You want them to be clicking on offense and defense and special teams, not necessarily special teams. But you want that offense and defense to both be clicking at the right time at the end of the year. You don't you don't care if if our offense is great and our defense is great at the beginning of the year and they play like garbage the last seven eight weeks. We want to be the other way around. This is the time of the season where we need to win these games that we're uh, supposed to win, which would be remaining the schedule would be this one and uh, the Jets, and then we have four tough games that we need to win two of them. So I think that this is the time uh, for our offense and our defense to, to really be clicking and, and playing a full game. And I think uh, I'm expecting to see that this Sunday. Joel, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, and I always find it interesting to see where the, the sharp money is going. And if I'm reading things correctly, it's coming in on the Broncos. Is that accurate? And if so, does that give you any trepidation over thinking this line is is not very good so from from people that i've talked to and numbers that i've seen actually more betting is coming in on buffalo so i think i think the majority of the line moves are just based off of air which is in in las vegas so they're looking at um, other sports books they're looking at offshore books they're seeing where lines are moving to and they don't want to have a bad number 
So if, if people are betting offshore uh, in the Bahamas, we'll say, and that line's at five, and they're betting a bunch of money on Denver, that book is going to go down to four and a half or four. And you, sports books will get an alert that the line is. Do we lose Joel? Joel, you there? Uh-oh, we lost Joel. We'll get Joel right back. I'm a little surprised uh, that uh, Joel is saying that this is uh, this is a bad number because then the the uh, I'm a little confused because then he says some of the anecdotal stuff really backs Denver as being a tough competitor. And the line is going the wrong way. Yes. If it were bad to start, sometimes it goes the other way. But that doesn't appear to be happening in this game, which I don't know. I think this is a tough, tough out for the Bills. It is. I think we might have to leave Joel because we're right up. We have Syracuse basketball coming up. Uh, we can't bleed over into that uh, 6 o'clock hour as we've been known to do every now and then. Bobby working his little diddle fingers off. Yeah, directly to voicemail. I wonder if he oh, uh, was going bad. through a tunnel or something. Yeah, maybe we're in a bad spot. Well, Or a better came and got him. Yeah, they his heard bookie. him talking about those offshore <laughs> books and – they cut his line. Yeah, the, the Thunderwolves hotline wasn't having any of that. That's right. That maybe <laughs> yeah, that's, that's right. what it was. The, the NCAA's uh, listening. Yes. Well, that was Joel Staniszewski joining us on the NCCC Thunderwolves hotline. Come be a part of a winning team at Niagara County Community College. So, uh, for the record, Joel Staniszewski's clear, clear advice was to bet the Bills, and he said it was one of the worst lines he's seen of the year. So I'm thinking he's telling you to go heavy. and uh, But my last question I was going to leave it with was, being the Bills fan that he is, he was talking about it's the time of year where you need the complete game, how confident he is. The, there's a really only one in a row <laughs> for Buffalo so far. Cleveland, they played decently, very well defensively, I'll say. They played very well defensively against Cleveland, even getting the safety. They contributed to the point total. Uh, but the offense wasn't there. Um, I don't know. We'll we'll see what Joel Staniszewski has to say about. It. See, maybe that's what happens when you don't work for the athletic. You don't get to finish. That's right. There was some. There's Let something. That be a lesson to everybody out there. There's something in the system that's just saying no. Everybody has to be involved with the athletic. And Jonah's involved with the athletic because he drinks with guys from the athletic. That's I am right. athletic. You are. That you too. do. He plays basketball. Well, he plays basketball. That doesn't mean you're athletic. True. All right. Thanks to all my guests today. I want to thank John Vogel of The Athletic. I want to thank Chris Baker. Uh, you can follow him at Sabres Prospects. Uh, he's uh, one of the better uh, Sabre analysts. Uh, he's, he might be he's the best Sabres analyst. I'll stop right there. Who's a better Sabres analyst that's not paid by the team in this market? Nobody. He knows it from... All-time great guy. Absolutely. He knows what's going on with the guys in juniors, what's going on in Rochester. I mean, no slight against Marty Baran, who I love, and I go way back with him. I don't know that Marty can tell you what's going on in uh, Sweden. Who watches the game with a better eye and understanding of what's going on in general than Chris Baker? I sit down and watch any hockey game with him, and you'll learn something. My thanks to Tim Kawakami, the editor-in-chief of the Athletic Bay Area, for Uh, talking Colin Kaepernick for Lorenzo Alexander and his interview earlier today. 
to Matthew Fairburn, Bills writer for The Athletic, to Jonah Bronstein, to Bobby Rosati, the producer. Uh, thanks for listening to The Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Shampo Travis, Bison, Kirshner, CPAs, and business consultants on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. Stay tuned for Syracuse basketball. Tim Graham Show. Yes, I do have mnemonic devices that the you will Tim have. The Tim Graham Show. Prominent, prominent listener sent uh, this gift to me. I will have a big unveiling. Jim Brown's still a free agent. This is Sports Radio 1270. The